Good morning. morning. It's good to see each one of you today. And it's actually been since that horrible cold that we had, it's actually been pretty nice the last few days. Praise the Lord for that. How many of you are continuing to read? Praise the Lord. We got we got quite a few people out here that are that are doing the the year reading that we have um, tried to do as a whole congregation, and I'm I'm glad to see that. You know, I'm I'm trying to keep up with it as well, along with the other passages of scripture that I do with my discipleship partner, and so I think it's really good. I think it's a it's building towards a foundation that that is in Christ Jesus is which we want. And today I, I really want to get pretty deep theologically with you. Um, it amazes me, it just amazes me by all the lessons that we can learn from children's fairy tales. Absolutely amazes me. There's a story that's probably one of my favorites. And I think I want to share it with you this morning. It's the story of the three little pigs. (laughs) Once upon a time, there was a mother pig with three little pigs. When it was time for the little pigs to live on their own, their mother told them, whatever you do, do the best that you can. The first little pig built a house out of straw It wasn't very strong, but it was quick to build, and the little pig could spend more time playing, and so he was happy that he could do that. The second little pig built a house out of sticks, and also wasn't it wasn't very strong, but it was quick to build, and the little pig could spend more time playing, so he too was also very happy. The third little pig built his house out of bricks. He remembered his mother's words and worked hard to build the best house that he could. The bricks, the brick house was strong and sturdy, and the third little pig was very, very pleased with what he built. One day, though, folks, this big bad wolf came upon the first little pig's house of straw, And the wolf knocked on the door and he said, little pig, little pig, let me come in. And the little pig replied, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And so the big bad wolf, he huffed and he puffed and he blew the house in. And the little pig ran all the way to his brother's house of sticks. So the next day. The big bad wolf came upon the second little pig's house of sticks. The wolf knocked on the door and said, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. And the second little pig replied, Not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. The big bad wolf huffed and he puffed and he blew the house in. And the two little pigs ran all the way to their brother's house of bricks. The next day, The big bad wolf came upon the third little pig's house of bricks. The wolf knocked on the door and he said, Little pig, little pig, let me come in. The third little pig replied, 
That is right, not by the hair of my chinny chin chin. And the big bad wolf, he huffed and he puffed and he, he huffed and he puffed and again, he huffed and he puffed again. But he couldn't blow down that brick house. The wolf saw that there was a chimney and so he climbed up onto the roof to try to get in to the house. The little pigs quickly lit a fire in the fireplace. And, and they put this kettle of, of boiling water in the fireplace. And the wolf climbed down the chimney and splash, he fell right into the kettle. And the wolf sprang out of that hot water and he ran away as fast as he could. And that was the end of the little pig's trouble with the big, bad wolf. I wasn't really kidding. I was just joking with you. I said I was going to get theologically deep with you today. No, I, you know, there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from stories like that. A lot of lessons. I want to ask you a question. What is a parable? What is a parable? Come on, someone's got to have an answer to that. What is Okay, that's the, that's the definition that we've always been given. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So for the next six weeks, we are going to look at stories that Jesus told in parables. And we're going to begin today with one of those stories. And I've entitled this, Tell Me Another Story, Jesus. I love it when Jesus tells stories. You know, the Leaning Tower of Pisa is one of the most famous structures in the world. Absolutely is. And it's not because of its gently rising series of arches, but it's because of its legendary what? Tilt. That's right, it's leaning. That's why they call it the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Construction began on this historic tower around 1173, about 850 years ago, and lasted for nearly two centuries. But before the first three levels could even be completed, listen to this, before it began to shift on its foundation ever so slightly. And ever so slightly can, can be a serious problem later on down the road. I remember a friend of mine, his name was Scott, and he wanted to build a, a porch around his house. And it was going to be a beautiful porch. But at this one end, he was an inch off. At the other end, he was seven inches off. That's how important it is when, you, when you're building a foundation to make sure that you're right on. So gradually, leaning further and further over the centuries, it's now heralded as the most lopsided structure in the world. In fact, by 1990, the top of the tower was 17 feet further south than the bottom. That's, that's, quite, a, that's quite a lean. And it was finally closed to the public for safety concerns and not reopened until 2008. It was during that time, engineers completed a $25 million renovation project designed to stabilize the tower. They removed 110 tons of dirt and reduced its legendary lean by about 16 inches. <laughs> what was the problem? Was it because of bad design? Was it because of poor workmanship? Was it because of an inferior grade of marble? It was none of those. The problem was found underneath the foundation. 
The sandy soil on which the city of Pisa was built was, was just not stable enough to support a monument of that size. The tower had no firm foundation. Hmm. Do you understand the three little pigs now a little bit better? Unfortunately, I believe that the same can be said of us. Absolutely can be said of us. You know, as Jesus brought his renowned Sermon on the Mount to a close, he ended with this small parable. And I want to read that with you this morning. It's an illustration on a big topic about foundations. And so if you've got your Bibles and you want to turn to Matthew, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 24 through 27. And this is what it says. It says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, and yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Wow. I think that only Jesus could get away with ending a sermon by telling his audience, listen, if you listen and follow my teachings, you will be smart. And if you don't, well, you won't be so smart. <laughs> but, but that's essentially what he's saying. In, in the analogy, Jesus, he uses these three powerful images that tell the story that I think are worth meditating on today. The first one is this. The first image is of the solid rock. The solid rock. The, the stone in this story represents the words and the teachings of Jesus Christ, which ought to be the foundation and the bedrock of our lives, shouldn't it? That's why... I want you to be in the Word with me every single day. That's why we wanted to put that in the bulletin so that you could follow along and maybe read the whole Bible within a year. But see, that's the bedrock. It's, it's our bedrock of our lives, the Word of God. The opening words of the book of Hebrews say this. It says, long ago, God spoke in many different ways to our fathers through the prophets he did it in visions and dreams and even face-to-face -face telling them little by little about his plans. But it goes on to say, but now in these days he has spoken to us through his son to whom he has given everything and through whom he has made the world and everything in there, in the world and everything in it. It's through Jesus Christ. And so I think that is so important. The, the, the little red letters that you see, and I've got them in my Bible. Do you have them in your Bible? The little red letters there? These, these little red letters splashed across Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are Jesus' words to the world and to you and to me. But it's not only the red letters that belong to Jesus. The black ones do too. They belong to Jesus. They're all His, everything. The whole word, the, the whole Bible is God's message to mankind. It belongs to him. All of it does. So it's more than just a biography about God and his son Jesus. The Bible is, what I would say is a, it's a guide 
for our lives. You know, it's the wellspring of our hearts and our souls. And that's why it's the best-selling book of all time. Did you know that? It is the absolute best-selling book of all times. In fact, more than a 100 million Bibles are sold each year. A 100 million. You know, in 2009, the United Bible Societies gave away 431 million copies of the Bible throughout the world. 431 million copies of the Bible. I know. Since the invention of the, the printing press, at least 12 billion Bibles have been published and distributed. You know, and to get a feel for the enormity of that figure, you know, their publication would have taken nearly 9 million tons of paper. 9 million tons of paper. Which would fill approximately 495,000 240 railroad cars. That train would stretch for 4,716 miles. That's a lot of Bibles. That is a lot of Bibles. But you know what's interesting? Just because we have so many Bibles doesn't mean that we know what it says. Seriously. You know, you've probably got several Bibles at home. You may even have a big Bible that sits on the coffee table that's collecting dust. I know in my house, we weren't very religious, and there was this big Bible. I mean, this thing that if you took it and hit someone in the head with it, it'd kill them. Because it was that big. I mean, it was huge, that thick. And all it did was collect dust. Ray Nigren once said this. He said, if, if, if all the neglected Bibles were dusted off simultaneously, we would have a record dust storm and the sun would be eclipsed for a whole week. (laughs) In 2002, the Barna Research Group conducted a survey of what they called self-identified Christians, people who, who identified themselves as Christians, And here's what they found about their knowledge of the Bible. Did you know that 48% could not name the four Gospels? Can you? Can you name the four Gospels? Name them. Thank you. Good. Okay. 52% cannot identify more than two or three of Jesus' disciples, Jesus' apostles. Can anybody name three of them? Peter, James, and John. <laughs> Who are some of the other ones? We had Andrew, yep, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, and, and Judas, um, son, of, son of James, and then Judas Iscariot. You know, there were more than 12 apostles, right? You know, there, there was one more added to that after Judas killed himself. And who was he? It was Matthias. Matthias. And then there was one abnormally born, so there really could be 13, and that was who? Paul, that's right. 60% of Americans, American Christians, can't name even five of the Ten Commandments. Whew. That's a harder one. No other gods before me, no idols. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Keep the Sabbath holy. Honor your father and mother. 
Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor and do not covet. Wow. 61% of American Christians think that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. (laughs) That he was the one that owned that. He's the one that started that. 61% of American people, Christians, believe that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. George Barna Group concluded this, that Americans revere the Bible, but by and large, they don't know what it says. So what does that say about us? Which I think makes a lot of us like the drunken guy. I don't mean to compare you to the drunken guy, but it's just, just, just an illustration, but which makes, which I think makes us a lot like the drunken guy who was spotted by the police officer looking for something. The drunk was down on his hands and knees and explained in slur speech to the police officer that he was looking for his wallet. And the, the police officer inquired, well, where, where did you lose it? And the, the drunk motioned with his hand as he replied, about a half a block down that way. Confused and amused, the police officer asked, well, why are you searching here then? And the drunk replied, well, there's no street light down there, but there's a street light up here. <laughs> Many are like this sometimes, though, if you think about it. Many are like this sometimes. When we have questions about life or troubles come our way or relationships fall apart and we lose our way, sometimes we look for the answers in all the wrong places. We go to, we turn to Dr. Phil or Oprah Winfrey or, or, or the latest self-help book instead of turning to God's word. We need to stop doing that. One of the reasons this this book has endured throughout the centuries is that it dares to tackle some of the toughest questions of life. You know, what happens after I die? Is there a God? You know, what what on earth am I here for? You know, what do I do with with my, my fears? And we tackled that last week when we talked about four different fears and how we can handle them through the Scripture. You know, the Bible answers all of life's important questions and concerns. You know, the Word of God says this in in Psalm 119, verse 105. It says, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's God's Word. Every other worldview, whether it's atheism, agnosticism, humanism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Confucianism, I don't careism, is just sinking sand. That's all it is. It's just sinking sand. Nothing but the Bible can provide us the solid foundation upon which to build our our lives upon. Nothing but the Word of God. Nothing but the Word of God. And I think that that is so important. I think that's what got the, the first and the second little pigs into trouble. They built upon the wrong foundation. That's what they did. They built upon the wrong. But we can't build on it if we don't know what it says. Nothing but the word of God. But did you hear what I just said there? We can't build on it if we don't know what it says. 
That's why we have to be in the Word. This brings us to the, the second image or this picture in this parable, and that's the structure. That's the building. The structure of the house represents what we build our lives with. You know, all of us are building something. We're either building a career or a reputation or a family or a legacy or a life. And the question is, what kind of life are you building? Seriously, what kind of life are you building? Have any of you come close to death? Have any of you come close to that? You know, when you're, when you're on, in that situation, it makes you think a lot more about the foundation, doesn't it? You know, we were, Sarah and I were talking about that just a little bit a while ago, and, and, and we, and we were talking about the idea of, of our own children. And, you know, when you're younger, you don't think about those kinds of things because you've got it all ahead of you. But guys, we don't even know if we have tomorrow or the rest of the day. So it's important to know what structure, what foundation you're building upon. Notice Jesus didn't say in verse 24 there, Matthew chapter 7, he didn't say, anyone who listens to my teachings is wise. He doesn't say that. Rather, he says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. You know, I wonder if Jesus' little brother, James, was in the audience that day because decades later, absolutely decades later, James, his brother, Jesus' brother, James, kind of reiterated this point in this parable. Here's what he said. He said, I'm going to read it from the, from the monitor. It says, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, therefore get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which, which can what? Which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after after look or and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. And some of you I believe are doing that intentionally. <laughs> but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what he they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Wow. Maybe, maybe you read your Bible every day. Maybe you enjoy a good sermon. Maybe you even say amen every once in a while. And I think those are great things. But God wants us to actively listen to his teachings. But what are you building on? What kind of foundation are you building on? I believe that God wants us. I believe he wants us to build our lives upon his teachings, upon his foundation. And if, if you're doing, if you're doing is listening, then all you're doing is fooling yourself because right there he says you will be do you will be blessed by what you do now i'm not sitting here saying that that 
that our salvation is based upon anything that we do. But I can tell you right now from what, what, what Jesus is saying here in, in Matthew and what he's saying and James is saying here, it is important that we are reading the word, that we're building our life on that foundation. It is important. The Bible's not meant to, to be read like other books. It just isn't. You know, you read the newspaper and it places no demands on how you live your life. You can read a cookbook, but you don't have to bake a cake. You don't have to do that. You know, you can read a biology book, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be a scientist. But when you read the Bible, the teaching of Jesus, it's a trumpet call to action. That's what it is. In the therefore, we talked about this in Bible study a little bit. He says, therefore, in, in that first, that verse 24 of Matthew 7 there, in the therefore stuff that preceded this, this parable, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says some pretty radical stuff, doesn't he? He talks about being salt and, and light in our community. He talks about dealing with anger and, and adultery. You know, he, he teaches about marriage, divorce, and, and keeping our vows. You know, he commands us to love our enemies and, and to give to the needy. He instructs us on prayer and fasting and what to do about our money. You know, he tells us not to judge other people and to not worry about the speck in your friend's eye when you've got a log in your own eye. His message comes almost to an end with this golden rule in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, where he says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The, the, the whole sermon is about doing. Jesus didn't preach this sermon to hear himself talk. He just didn't. You know, he wants us to treat the principles and the precepts that he taught like bricks and mortar and build them into our own lives to practice what he preached. Not what you're preaching, but what he preached. To practice what he preached. So that the, the therefore is therefore. You know, it, it goes back to the previous verses and it takes them very seriously from, from Matthew 5 to 6 to seven. It goes back that therefore it goes all the way back to those verses and it, it's telling us we need to take them seriously. Apply them to our lives. Let them change your life. The question is this. Is the word of God changing your life right now? Because if it isn't, it can. It can. Think of it like this. <clears throat> If you wanted to be a hockey player, which I don't know why you would, but if you wanted to be a hockey player, you might read a book or two about the game of hockey. You might go online and watch some instructional videos on YouTube because they're all over the place there, YouTube, you know. You could even invite some friends over who also want to play hockey. You could even watch a hockey game together and talk about the highlights and, of course, all the fights, which ones were the best ones. But until you strap on a pair of skates and get out on that ice, you're just fooling yourself. You're only a spectator. You're not in the game. You're not in the game. 
So the stone represents the teachings of Jesus. The structure represents the actions and and the application of his teaching. The final picture of this, this parable is the storm. The storm represents the trials that we face in life. And ultimately, I believe it's the judgment that we will face after life. The third image is the tremendous storm. You know, if you look at this parable and you look at verses 25 and 27, it talks about the storm that came. The rain came down and the flood came up and the wind blew. Remember that? And you'll notice that the storm, the storm hits both houses equally hard, doesn't it? It doesn't differentiate between the houses. It hits them equally hard. So let's face it. Bad things happen. And they happen with unpredictable frequency. They really do. And they also happen at varying levels of intensity. These bad things. They do. You know, some are mere inconveniences. Others are life-shattering disasters. It's something that you will never get over. Look at Kelly. Kelly Cupper still and deeply mourning the loss of her husband, Joe. These are things that happen in our lives that, that you just don't get over. And many of you sitting in this room are probably facing some of those things right now. And when the storms of life rage, our very foundation is going to be tested. And that could be something that could be on a daily basis for some of you. You know, there's a a short story of a ship that was wrecked in a furious storm. And the only survivor of that ship was a little boy who was swept by the waves onto a rock. He sat there all night long until the next morning when he was spotted and he was rescued. Quivering from the cold, his rescuer wrapped a blanket around him and said, you must have been shivering all night long on that rock. And yes, the little boy said, I trembled all night, but the rock didn't. You know, even in the midst of life's thunderstorms, tornadoes, floods, and hurricanes, even when the circumstances around us seem to be their darkest, Jesus is our rock. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our love. Jesus is the rock. He is our firm foundation and he will never tremble and he will never move. He's not like that soil under the the leaning tower of Pisa. He is the strong tower. He is the firm foundation. When the bill collectors are knocking at the door, when family members are in the hospital, when the doctor gives us the worst possible news, we can surrender to the torrents of waves and be swallowed up by the sea or we can cling to Jesus trusting him to see us through it all the the main thing is is what do you want to do it comes down to us making that decision and as i as i read this parable 
I think that Jesus had far more devastating storm in mind than those that we encounter in life. I think what Paul is saying here, you know, Paul comes back and I think he has a little something to say about what Jesus was saying right here. Notice in in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 15, he says this, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. You're God's building. Notice he says, we, he calls us that. He calls us, we are God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but, but yet will, will be saved, even though only as one escaping the flames. Paul describes it as a fire. Jesus describes it as rains and, and floods and winds. But I think they were both talking about the same day. And that is the day that we have to stand before the Lord, the day of judgment. You know, Paul wrote about believers who, who built their lives on the Lord, some with precious metals and others with cheap materials, but all of them built on the right foundation. They all built on the right foundation. And so all of them were saved on the day of judgment. But Jesus talked about those who foolishly built on this faulty foundation. It was a faulty foundation. And remember the song, don't you? How it goes. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. The rains came down and the floods came up. And the house on the sand went, whoopee! No, it went splat! That's what it did. We've all seen footage of tornado-ravaged towns or, or tsunamis that that have wiped out coastal villages. I mean, they're devastating, leveling everything in its path. That, Jesus says, is what awaits those who foolishly ignore him. That's what he tells us. When judgment comes, and I'm telling you folks, it will come, maybe not in our lifetime, but it's going to come if you haven't built your life on the firm foundation on Jesus and his teachings, then everything that you have built and everything that you are will be utterly demolished, destroyed, finished. Building your life on the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way to weather the storm. It, it doesn't get much clearer than what John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life And this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. And He's talking about eternal life there. It doesn't get any clearer than that. Because of the sandy soil beneath the village of Pisa, the city was forced to spend $25 million and countless man-hours stabilizing 
their famous structure in order to prevent it from collapsing. Lucky for us, we don't have to spend that kind of money to build or rebuild our lives on the right foundation. It's right here, folks. You have it, and I have it right in our hands. If anything other than faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that you're standing on, then I'm going to tell you this right now. You are standing on shaky, sandy ground. Christ and Christ alone is the solid rock on which to build our life of faith. What an appropriate song for you guys to sing today. No one knew this better than Edward Mote, who wrote the words for this great hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Folks, we live in perilous times. We may have war. We may see economic collapse. Who knows? We already do see and have moral and spiritual collapse in this world. There, there is personal tragedy and testing of one kind or another ahead of us, all of us. We will be tested. Every single one of us will be tested. Just like Jesus said here, the rain is about to fall. The rain is about to come. The floods are about to come up. The winds are about to blow and burst into our lives. The question is this, will you stand or will you fall when those things come? And Jesus reminds us what foundation, he reminds us what foundation is the only foundation to be standing upon, and that is the word of God. So, so build your life Secure your foundation upon the rock. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Don't allow Satan to huff and puff and blow your house down. Not by the hairs of my chinny chin chin. If you're ready to start the construction or reconstruction, we offer you the invitation to come this morning. It's an invitation that's open to anyone that needs to come.